Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. thinking a, a bit about Easter this year, and uh, we get to Easter every year. You know, it comes around every year, not at the same exact time, but generally the same time frame. And this happens in churches all across, at least our country, where people plan to have people who are mostly always there, And they plan on those people doing what they don't do real often throughout the year, that they plan on people inviting other people. And so they plan on having people who have been invited, maybe some visitors, some of whom maybe have some degree of of knowledge or background, some who might not, some who are maybe curious, some who aren't. And then you've kind of got the the group of people who every Easter make kind of that annual pilgrimage to church. And and, and you kind of expect that on Easter Sunday. And and so this morning, I want to welcome everybody who's here this morning, you're here in person or online. I, I, I want you to know something, though. I'm, this morning, I'm talking to a group of people primarily. Primarily people who want Jesus to be king in their lives and want to obey him. Now that doesn't mean if you're not all about that, there won't be anything here for you. That doesn't mean that if you're wondering what this is all about, I think you might get a pretty good picture today. Because really what I want you to do this morning is show you the future and ask you to join Jesus in his quest to reconcile all things to himself. Because that's what the resurrection is about. Uh, Looked at a few uh, philosophies and philosophers and such about life and how to live life. Soren Kierkegaard says that life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forward. Feels a bit like a no-win situation to me. But then you have Ann Landers who says, nobody gets to live life backward. Look ahead, that is where your future lies. Then we have the great contemporary theologian on life, Woody Allen, said, in my next life, I want to live life backwards. You start out dead and get that out of the way. It was about a week and a half ago, and I was listening to um, a pastor on a podcast, uh, having a conversation, and he said something that I could not get past. Something that since I heard it, um, I didn't realize this, because apparently Travis and I and kind of the worship planning team talked a long time ago about the passage for this Sunday, and this hit me so hard, I completely blanked and forgot what passage we were doing and had a completely different passage for today that Travis found out on Tuesday. Um, but it hit me so hard, and I couldn't get past it because of what he said. Um, Pastor, uh, Pastor Derwin Gray said this. 
As people of the resurrection, you and I are actually people of the future in the present. As people of the resurrection, you and I are actually people of the future in the present. And I want to unpack that in what the Apostle Paul says this morning. Basically, here's the reality, is that we, in Christ, we are no longer subject to the past or even the present, but we are firmly anchored in the future that God has for everyone. That might look a little different depending on what you do with the question of Jesus. But God calls us to be people of the future because he's shown us what happens to bring that future into today. See, Easter does not point to a future hope. You and I, that, that, that it actually brings future hope into the present. N.T. Wright says it this way, and I love it. He says, Easter is when hope in person surprised the whole world by coming forward from the future into the present. That hope in person came from the future and surprised everyone, bringing the future to the present. And, and, and I think the thing that, that I, I think we need to understand and catch this morning is that being people of the resurrection, we have been freed from the container that is the past and the present, and we have been placed firmly in the future. And we bring God's kingdom to the present. That's how God does that. He does it through us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 14. And man, there's some things here that are so incredible and for me significantly not just directive but but just earth-shattering. And and so in in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says this. He says for the love of Christ controls us. Now, he's talking about him and those who have been found in Christ Jesus being led and moved by the Holy Spirit. He says, for the love of God controls us, and he says, because we have concluded this. The love of God controls us. We are controlled by the love of God. We do everything. We get up in the morning, we go to this place and that place because the love of God controls us and compels us to do these things. And he says, because we have concluded this, that one, being Jesus Christ, has died for all, therefore we have all died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul says, this is what we've concluded, that, that we are compelled and controlled by the love of Christ because Jesus died for us, and because he died, we no longer are stuck in the past or the present living for ourselves. We now can live in Christ Jesus, bringing the future to the present. Verse 16, he says this, he says, from now on, therefore. I want you to hear what he says. We regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. 
He goes on, he says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He says, we no longer see people according to the flesh. What is he saying there? This is critical because I think in so many ways in, in, in the, the sin rampant world, we have missed what Paul says right here about our very future nature, which is part of us today. That's this, that we do not look at people according to the flesh. We don't look at people through our insecurities or our fears, our concerns. We don't look at people the way the world tells us to look at people. See, the world says, look at people and decide if their ideals are like yours and then decide whether or not they are valuable. The world says, look at people, and if they don't look like you, then you're, you're welcome to excuse them. Look at people and determine if they're good or bad, and then decide if, you've got, if they're an enemy or an ally. Because that's really what we're taught, is to look at people as enemies or allies, and throughout our lives, those, it's just almost a moving target because those enemies then maybe have a common interest and now they're allies and those allies say something we don't like and now they're enemies. What Paul says is, is as, as people in Christ, we don't, we don't get to do that. We don't look at people according to the flesh anymore, according to the world, according to what, what, we, what we think. You see... Our point of view, our worldview changes when we meet Jesus. We no longer look at life the same way. Now we view everything from the perspective of God, his word, and his kingdom. We no longer look upon people as we did before. We look at them as Christ looks at them. You see, Christ looked at us, and we were absolute enemies of him. The only thing we had in common with God was the image of God that he placed in every human being. And that was even fuzzy. <laughs> because it was, hard, it was hard to see that in, in all of our sin. But God saw us in a way, not according to the flesh, but as valued image bearers who need reconciliation with God. And so I think one of the things we need to recognize as the people of God is that we don't get to make decisions about who is our enemy and who is our friend. And as we'll see what Paul says, there's something that we do and we're called to do as Christ was called to do. He says, because why? Because we are new creations. He says, we are brand new creations. We are no longer what we were, but we are the future. He has replaced us with our future selves. Now, depending on how much we surrender and submit to God's movement and the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives, we will live into that future or we'll live into our past. 
But, but the reality is that we are future people. See, we no longer, like, like those around us in the world, we no longer stumble along trying to live this present life a little bit better until we one day die. It's not what we do. We are already better. And we're called to, to bring other people into that life. You see, our secured future is that we will be raised to eternal life in God's new world, not only to inhabit God's new creation, which is a world filled with freedom, but actually to run it on God's behalf. Until then, we give people a picture of what that is. We show people what that looks like. You see, we've seen the future, and it is a world in which all things have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And now as resurrection people, we come from that future, calling people to join us in that future now. So if you'll kind of humor me a little bit this morning, I'd invite you to hop into our DeLoreans. And as Doc Brown said, avoid 2020, which is super prophetic from a movie in the 80s. But we want to go and see what is it that God is calling us to? What is this future that God is calling us to bring to earth? As Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of God is now. And we look around and we say, but everything's messed up. Sure, things are messed up. Because you see, we are the ones who are the in-breaking future kingdom of God. Those who have the Holy Spirit living in us. We are that in-breaking kingdom of God now. We are the future bringing that into the present. So Paul goes on in in verse 18, he says this. I messed up my uh, iPad there. He says this in verse 18. He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, I I want you to think about this for a second. It says, all this is from God, this making us new creatures, new creations, And then it says, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He gave us a relationship with him. He fixed what was wrong. He forgave our sin. He cleaned our slate, even though we didn't deserve it. So Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, reconciled us to him. Like only Jesus could do that. But here's what's crazy about that. It's the next thing he says. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What he said Jesus just did, he says now he calls us to do and invites us into that very same activity. Can you believe that God, in all of his wisdom and sovereignty, and discernment thought it was a good idea to give us the ministry of reconciliation. Like, think about that for a second. How many of us are described as people who are really good at not taking sides and just caring for people? There's very few people who are good at that. <laughs> yet, yet, yet Jesus didn't take sides. He died for everyone. 
He didn't care if you were a Pharisee, you were a prostitute, you were a tax collector. He didn't care if you were a Gentile, he didn't care if you were a Jew, he didn't care if you were a child or an old man. It's interesting in the Old Testament when, when Joshua is, is, is going through the, the promised land and an angel of the Lord comes to him and Joshua says, who are, you, who are you with, us or the enemy? And the angel of the Lord says, neither. I'm from the army. I'm, I'm from, I, I am on God's side. Which is interesting because Joshua, I thought he was on God's side. Interesting question and interesting answer. It's so interesting because today, so often, we, we get asked on all kinds of things that are going on around us, well, what, what side are you on? I mean, it might not actually say, what side are you on, but that's really what we're asking. How often do we respond by saying, you know what? That stuff might be important, but what I need you to understand that I'm on God's side, and that doesn't mean my opinions are God's opinions, because I constantly have to struggle to take God's side. Maybe we should start our conversations with, I have nothing to offer but Jesus in this scenario. And, 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 so, and so here, here Paul, Paul says that he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. A, a ministry, a, a ministry is, is actually um, a service to others on behalf of God. So basically what, 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 Jesus, what, what Paul is saying here is that, is that we have a, a ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a service to reconcile others to serve them in that way on God's behalf. It says that is in verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You know, the first thing you learn in life is to keep score. How many times have you wronged me? How many times have you messed up? And then a lot of us carry how many times we've messed up, but we tend to try to push those to the side. God says, you know, I've given you the ministry of reconciliation, which means you don't keep people's trespasses against them. You let them go. You forgive them. What if they're terrible? you let them go, you forgive them. What if they don't deserve it? Just watch what I do. <laughs> I think it's what Jesus says. And, and, so, and so here, he says he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of re reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ Ambassadors were, were the people who went to other kingdoms and kings and represented the king and his communication and his character to those nations and those kingdoms. So literally, we are ambassadors from the kingdom of God communicating who God is and his character and his desires for everyone else. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He says, we implore you, we, he, pleading and begging, with, with, with not, not emotionally distanced, saying, hey, you believe this, 
yes or no, I don't care. Not my issue. Paul says, no, no, with all empathy and investment and personal cost to himself, I am going to pursue you who hate me to be ambassador for Christ and perform the ministry of reconciliation, to draw you to Jesus and draw you to peace and harmony with one another. And, and, and so really what, what we see is, is that, is that the, the view from here that we see is not a view that looks very encouraging. We are ministers of reconciliation, carrying the message of reconciliation with God first and with one another second. And so presently, what we see is we see division, hatred, strife, oppression between people, between races, between nations, between uh, social, economic, educational classes. We see a present defined by allies and enemies that, that are always shifting. That's what we see today. But what God shows us in the future, what he says what we are and why we are planted where we are, is that God, through Jesus Christ, has established harmony and peace between enemies. These once enemies are reconciled and all hostilities have ceased and the love of Christ binds all together. I think I very poorly communicated something for service. And it's partly because I didn't want to communicate it. So I woke up at 2.30 last night and was up till about 3.30. Normally, I just make myself go back to sleep, but last night, I'm growing to become more intimate with Jesus. And so I got out of bed. I went to the kitchen. I got my notes out and I started looking. And then God started moving and speaking. It's kind of like last night, God said, okay, so you're talking about my word and the ministry of reconciliation that we have. I think the question the Holy Spirit placed on me was, are you going to actually do it or are you just gonna give some platitudes that make people feel good about their lives and walk away? And so I struggled with that. Because this past week, I think there was a pretty solid example of why we're called to what we're called to. Things that we don't want to talk about because we know that, that if we say one thing, these people will be hurt and offended. If we say the other thing, these people will be hurt and offended. But this week in Grand Rapids, there's a 26-year-old guy who was pulled over by a police officer and didn't do what he was supposed to do, didn't listen. He was pretty, I don't know what was going on, but a chase ensued, and it ended pretty tragically with that guy losing his life. The officer ended up shooting him. I say, I bring that up, and I feel like that probably brings tension for every one of us. But that's what God, that's where God took me last night. This is what he said. If you are my minister of reconciliation, you don't get to pick sides. Because here's the thing. 
We live in a broken world. And as ministers of reconciliation, we need to go to those who are hurting, those who are afraid, those who are angry, those who are frustrated, and we need to draw them to God and draw them to each other, even if it costs us our lives. And so I think the response to this, first and foremost, from a person who's been born of the resurrection, grieves with the family of that young man. And anyone who feels afraid or slighted or injured by that. And we need to, with empathy and love, gather around the people who will be blamed no matter what actually happened or didn't happen. And, and, and villainized because they have a particular occupation. We as people of the resurrection stand in the gap like Jesus stood in the gap of our sin and salvation. And we give up our lives to bring God's grace and God's love to all people. We don't take our marching orders or the lines we use from the world because Jesus died for all and Jesus wants us to be ministers of reconciliation. See, our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Christ-shaped, spirit-filled Christians following Jesus is to announce reconciliation to a world that is discovered or is discovering its fallenness to announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness, to proclaim love and trust to a world that only knows exploitation, fear, and suspicion. We understand, because of what Christ did, that God is creating a new race beginning with Christ. A man or woman in Christ is a new creation, not merely improved or reformed, but remade. Reconciliation is not just politely ignoring hostilities. It is the total removal of hostilities so there can be a relationship, fellowship between God and humanity that will produce sanctification leading to holiness and complete and total unity. And we do that with one another as well. I can't help but wonder if we're in that place of Joshua and God has been showing up in our midst and saying, I'm here and I need you to do something for me. And we've said, God, whose side are you on? The left or the right? Obviously, he's on the right. Maybe from a different perspective. Obviously, he's on the left. And I think he says, I'm not on either. I died, I sent my son to die for everyone. And I've called you into that same death. And I know it's difficult 
and complex and ugly because you know what? We live in a fallen world and no one can perfectly execute their calling. But we need to stand in the gap for one another and recognize the weight and the difficulty and the history of all the, all the people that we engage. See, Jesus' resurrection accomplished two things. As Paul writes here in 2 Corinthians, God has reconciled Paul to himself through Christ. So that means God has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Paul says that we were opponents to God, but God established peace between us through Christ's divine act of love and grace. Our sin, as he says, is not counted against us. And we we need to recognize that as ministers with the ministry of reconciliation, we need to stop counting sin against those around us. Instead of going to the why of this may have happened or, or what this person did to cause this to happen, we need to go to all of those people and, 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 and sit and be there and be the voice and the body of Jesus in the midst of that and call them to reconciliation with God and, and their fellow man. Secondly, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, it's kind of unbelievable to me that, that God would, would call us into that. That's crazy. That blows my mind. That he's called me to reconcile people. I, I can't hardly make sense when, I was, when, when our kids were young. I couldn't make sense of who was wrong, who was right. So I just punished everybody. <laughs> I am not a great reconciler. <laughs> but that's what God, God called me to. That's what God called you to if you've come to Jesus for faith and you have the Holy Spirit living in you. So what does this mean? Our calling is to show the world a clear picture of the not yet fully revealed kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. We're to show the world how the future works. And and the pathway to that is denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Jesus. And, and, and so, and so here, here, what it means is that our love, our unity, and our hope must be otherworldly. If our love is equal to that of the world's love, if our hope is equal to that of the world's hope, if our unity reflects the world's unity, then we're not, we're not doing it. Our love, hope, and unity must exceed and be otherworldly, futuristic, coming from the, the kingdom of God inbreaking into the world around us. That's what we're called to. More than anyone else in the world, we are about reconciliation first with God and then with each other. Loving God and loving our neighbor, that's what it boils down to. We may be sad or troubled by world affairs, but we know exactly where this is going and what's in store and know the weight of what the ministry that God has placed on us. And so I think this morning there's two categories of people. You don't like to put people in boxes or categories, but I think these are fairly accurate. One is this. You may be here today, maybe listening, maybe in the room, and you need to be reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. You are stuck in your past or your present. You are not anchored in the future that God has for you. 
And, and so maybe you're here and, and you recognize that you are stuck and that maybe you've decided, you know what? I need to make a decision for Jesus. I need to decide what I think about Jesus. And I think what you've described sounds like what I want, what my heart longs for. And so this morning, I would encourage you, wherever you are, to consider Jesus. All you have to do is ask him and he will reconcile you and him. It requires us to simply recognize that we are sinful and separated from Jesus, from God. We are at odds with him and confess that and simply say, God, I, I wanna give my life over to you. I need you to forgive me. I need you to give me your righteousness and I wanna follow Jesus. If that's something you did this morning or you wanna do, please talk to somebody about it. The other category of people isn't the category of people who need to be reconciled with God, it's the category of people who need to obey. People that need to obey. You've heard truth this morning. You may look at that and say, well, I don't know if that's completely true. That's, you can decide that. But what the word says is that Christ has reconciled us with God and now he's called us to be reconcilers of others. That's the truth that you've heard this morning. So the question is, are you gonna obey or are you going to ignore it? Because often we have a tendency to hear truth and even agree with it, but we don't do anything with it. The question this morning is, are you going to obey? Am I going to obey? You've been entrusted the ministry of reconciliation. You don't get to see people the same as you used to or the world tempts you to see people. Are you gonna live in an, as an ambassador representing God and his kingdom or participate in the world's arguments and the world's divisions? Does What characterizes you, does that characterize a person who is obsessed with reconciling people? We're gonna close the service by singing together. And as we close, there's a word that we use a lot of times in Christianity in the church. It's the word amen. Anyone ever really think through what they're saying when they say amen? Amen is also translated so be it. But amen carries this weight. Amen is a response to something that we have determined is absolute truth, something that we will steadfastly follow, something that we have great certainty about. That's what amen is. When you say amen, that's what you're saying. It's a declaration not only that an idea or statement or command is true, but that I will act on that truth and face consequences for obedience or consequences for disobedience. Is your response to the truth you've heard this morning, amen? Is your response to the truth that God 
has called you as a future being to bring that future to the present. Is your response to that amen? Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your sacrifice. I, I pray that we would we would obey. Not because you make us obey, but because your love controls us because we have concluded that you gave everything for us because you loved us and wanted us and choose to use us as your ambassadors of reconciliation to the world around us. Amen. so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.